Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 183. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Tim Robinson. Hi, Kip. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on your show. And it's a pleasure to have you, especially because this, as with some of my favorite topics, may be a bit more experimental in explaining why I think, at least, it is a meaningful topic. So to begin, would you mind describing to the audience, and of course to me, how you would describe your relationship to and opinions of voicemails? I think voicemails exist in sort of an interesting vacuum today. They exist alongside a huge number of other means of communication. We have emails today, we have video messages, we have Skype, we have Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, all of these different forms of social media that allow us to communicate and send brief messages, whether text, audio, or visual, constantly. So we can send messages at any time, any place, any way. And each one has significant or not so significant differences. And to me, what's really key there is your description of the myriad ways we have to communicate with people around us. And that is actually something that a number of contributors mentioned in their submissions to us because we posted a questionnaire on the website and I've shared those responses with you. And one detail you brought up to me before we began recording is that most people fall on a spectrum of preferring either very personal voicemails, if in fact they are comfortable receiving voicemail, or utilizing voicemail in a more professional setting, which to me is really interesting because those two circumstances, at least in my mind, are vastly different. And I can think about voicemails I've left for friends where I feel very comfortable being emotionally honest and vulnerable, but I would never share those details or intimate emotions with a potential employer. And so I'd be really intrigued to hear, after illuminating that dichotomy, what you make of that. Yeah, I found that dichotomy as well, and I think I can empathize with a lot of your contributors. I went through the voicemails on my own phone for this conversation, and I saw that the voicemails that I got were either directly from a close relative or very close friend or girlfriend, or that they were from, you know, my insurance company or any random business. They kind of flip-flop back and forth between this realm of extremely personal sending good wishes, often ended with I love you, to this other realm where it's your car is ready to be picked up or you have a schedule starting next week. I just wanted to make sure you saw it. Oftentimes it comes down to how much time we have. So in this day and age, someone who's leaving you a voicemail, it might be because they have to send messages to loads of other people. So if we go to the business end of things, that person at the insurance company just wants to give me a paragraph of information and it would be maybe five minutes or 10 minutes of their life to type it out on an email, but it's only 20 seconds of their life to say it to me on the phone. However, on the other side, when it's extremely personal, it's a voice someone's human voice and it has intrinsically it has empathy and emotion and humanity in it so it supersedes all those other forms of communication if what we're trying to achieve is intimacy so on your birthday or on christmas or in any long distance relationship where you can't see the person face to face it feels better to have someone really express hey x y and z it's been blah blah you immediately think of them you hear their voice you imagine their expression when they were saying all the things that they left on your voicemail and it's deeply more personal it makes you feel much better about yourself than it would within just happy birthday on the facebook wall or what have you 
And again, in thinking about why voicemails are either strictly business or deeply personal and empathy, love oriented, I find it interesting because we have Snapchat, one of the most popular apps out on the market today. And I know in my experience, I see 16 year olds completely addicted to it as though it's a better form of communication than text messages. Even though Snapchat's been around for several years, even though Skype has been around for even longer, and we have the ability to send actual videos where we can give the person a facial expression, we can give them body posture, hand gestures, everything. But still, I find it more common to get a voicemail for something like a birthday or for something like Christmas or, or any kind of I miss you message. It comes to me through voicemail. I don't know why. I think maybe it has to do with that Snapchat is fleeting, that Skype is maybe too falsely personal because it's a video, but I have no idea. I'd be interested to see why people still are going the strict audio and audio alone route for things like happy birthday, I haven't seen you in a while, rather than a video. And I really appreciate a number of points there. It's also interesting, several of our contributors said, to take an example quotation, if it's a special occasion like a birthday or anniversary, then I will obviously leave a voicemail. So not only do those we spoke to receive voicemails perhaps on birthdays, but people also might be inclined to share more personal sentiments. And in that way, I'm intrigued that actual dates in time are linked to a certain technological practice or behavior. And so while people may not leave a voicemail on a random day of the year, if it is a special occasion, like you said, there's something about hearing someone's voice that really resonates. And of course, we are in fact producing a podcast. And I've often thought, as I've been leaving voicemails since my early high school years, that they were in many ways practice or a rehearsal of sorts for this endeavor that I've been pursuing. And one of the prompts in the questionnaire asks about voicemails being antiquated, and those who responded gave somewhat mixed answers. Some felt that voicemails were antiquated, others did not. And I would respond that in my perspective, voicemails are not antiquated in comparison to other media. And so I'm really happy that you've already brought up things like Snapchat, writing an email or a text message. Because in fact, where written communication in books or letters, carvings even, has existed for millennia and finds another incarnation in, as you said, text messages or email, voicemail to me is distinct. And I would go on to point out that the first known recordings of the human voice date back to the 1860s. So in terms of the whole of human history, voice recording is actually quite modern. And as you mentioned, empathy and other emotional factors that we can pack into a voice message, to me, that's what always resonates. And I've often felt when, let's say, I'm taking a walk late at night as someone who deals with insomnia, I might find a certain mood of tranquility or a particular feeling of satisfaction that perhaps I have not earlier in my day. And often my impulse is that I should share this with someone. And I think of friends of mine who are distant and probably asleep. And to me, an interesting gift, at least as I see it, would be to leave that person a voice message saying that I was thinking of them and perhaps adding in a reason that I'm grateful to know them. To me, those statements of love work particularly well with voicemail because I have to imagine the person who's not in front of me and they are in that moment in my head, as are my feelings of love for them. And so all I have to do is connect the pair and those ideas just have to intermingle, and I just have to put words to them. And I have found that it's gotten easier over time, 
But I also think it's in many ways a rewarding practice because overall, I don't feel we live in a culture where we express feelings of love all that often. And so to me, it's been a way to gently resist that and to say that I think it is valuable to express how we genuinely feel about people. And as an aside, we will include these questionnaires anonymously in the post for this episode. And I'd just like to point out that where friends spoke very highly of voicemails I've left them, the purpose of this episode was not self-congratulation. And I just wanted to make that point clear. But Tim, as far as leaving voicemails, when you've done it in the past, and in fact, you very recently left me a voicemail after years in which we hadn't been in touch that really impacted me, I'd love to know how you feel about leaving voicemails for other people, and if you ever plan it out or feel awkward doing so. All of that was great, Kip. What you said about voicemails as a gift is particularly interesting, and voicemails position in the history of our means of communication. I do believe that voicemail is antiquated to some degree, as we've talked about the invention of Skype and Snapchat and Facebook Messenger and all these different apps that allow us to communicate instantaneously and in a variety of different mediums. But that's sort of how voicemail unantiquates itself. In comparison to those other forms, it becomes something that's personal, something that is maybe reminiscent of the past, maybe reminiscent of something that your parents or grandparents do more than you. When you think about it, if someone leaves you a voicemail for a birthday, that's great. And it is a gift, just like you said, but it's sometimes even more of a gift if you just do it randomly, if you're inspired to do that just because you were thinking about the person. It's kind of a tricky gift to give, though, because in order to give someone a voicemail, you run the risk of actually talking to them. So when you call them and the phone rings for 30 seconds or 45 seconds, you're running the risk that they pick up the phone and any premeditated message that you have in your head will be disrupted by a dialogue that you are now in with the person. You have to be willing to take that risk, I guess, if you can call it a risk. Maybe it's sad to call it a risk. But if you're willing to go that route, you have to be willing to just say, hey, I just wanted to call you and leave you a voicemail, but now we're talking. So this is what I was going to say, you know, and it's live action. And I think that sort of demonstrates the willingness that somebody needs to have in order to give you a voicemail. And part of what makes it personal and part of what makes a voicemail a potential gift. As far as me giving voicemails as gifts, I don't think I do it nearly as much as I could. I think about people all the time. And often I'm a little too daunted by that prospect of talking to them and not being able to say something just premeditated and I'm worrying that it'll be awkward. Oftentimes, awkwardness plays a big role in our relationship to communication. Text messages aren't awkward because they have no tone. You can think about them before you send them. You can pretend you didn't see them for a while. Maybe you didn't see them for a while. But a voicemail is, you know, you called and the phone rang. And so for at least a minute there, there was an audible noise in someone else's ear letting them know that someone wants to talk to them and you were there waiting to talk to them. I personally don't do this very often because I just don't think to do it. You referred to the voicemail that I left you several months ago and we hadn't spoken in years. And it was because we hadn't spoken in years that I chose to leave the voicemail. It was explicitly because I didn't want to send you a message that was text. I wanted to show you in my voice somehow that I was excited to know that you were still around and being you. I can't express that as easily in a written message. I can. I was an English major. I do know how to write. But it's easier to just do it in a voicemail. It's easier to do it with a tone of voice. And I think it's more personal to the person that's going to receive it. So I chose that route as part of somewhat of a gift, maybe. I actually particularly appreciated that exchange. And perhaps we should have started the conversation with a more thorough explanation of what happened 
And so to give a brief background, in the summer of 2016, when a great number of troubling events were happening, I made a Facebook post saying if anyone wants to talk about things or is feeling upset in any capacity, I have plenty of time on my hands and would legitimately be open to listening, which is also an interesting phenomenon or verb to bring up in a conversation of voicemails because it is the act of monologuing in which you are almost demanding that others listen to what you have to say, which I will come back to. And I appreciated that when you saw that message, you did call and leave a voicemail because I was throwing out text into the world and you gave me voice, which is very intriguing. And I say that because I've often left voicemails for people knowing full well that in my mind, a text or an email almost demands a response in a sense where you can see in your smartphone after you've texted someone, you start developing a literal back and forth where you can visualize the alternation that occurs in conversation, and you don't necessarily have those visual components in a voicemail, it is a self-contained entity somewhere on your phone. And to me, I would almost prefer it that way because I never want to pressure friends of mine into feeling that they have to call back simply because I've called, though I would enjoy talking to them. And as far as the monologuing piece, I think that's why some people feel uncomfortable because monologuing is a tad peculiar. And the longer you speak, the more likely you are to make a mistake. And of course, we feel very self-conscious for that reason. But as far as calling someone intending to leave a voicemail, which I've often done, I have on occasion called someone who doesn't know that that is a preference of mine, and so they will pick up, and I've been, frankly, a bit selfish in saying, I had these words that I really wanted to say to you, would you mind if I sort of narrated for a few minutes because I really want you to know these things? And friends of mine have been very courteous and patient as I monologued to them, for lack of a better word. And bringing it back to the idea of antiquation, one of our contributors said, I believe that people typically see they have a voicemail and simply text or call back immediately rather than listen to said voicemail. And they went on to say, with most of my friends, a voicemail is only intended as a reminder or notification to get me to call back. And I find that particularly interesting because you're right. When we see these notifications on our phones, especially younger generations who practically live with their smartphones if they own one, we don't necessarily need two notifications and one would suffice. But in many of my voicemails where I've called with the express intent of leaving a voicemail, I will often begin those voicemails by saying, Hey Tim, just want to let you know this is not a missed call, so please don't feel like you have to call back. I was just thinking of you and wanted to share the following, and then I'll get into it. And I don't think it's coincidental that in this same questionnaire we posted on the site, many contributors noted that elders in their family, let's say their mother or grandmother, might be the type of person to leave them voicemails. And I was very intrigued that no one mentioned fathers or brothers or grandfathers. And so, as perhaps an unexpected question, do you have any thoughts, admittedly we are of course two men, on maybe a gendered component related to leaving voicemails or calling on the phone? Yeah, Kip, as I prepared for this conversation or sort of thought about it before I came, I went to my voicemail, my record of voicemails in my phone, and obviously my phone stores them automatically if I don't ask it to, and then sometimes I ask it to keep them for a certain period of time. But I went going through the list of voicemails that I had. They were overwhelmingly from my mom, my sister, and from a girlfriend sort of person in my life. So yeah, I definitely noticed an engendered component to it, whether or not there should or shouldn't be that component. I have certainly found that in my experience. 
going back to what you said a few minutes ago about sort of the intentional monologue or the purposeful monologue with a very premeditated agenda, I think that's, again, part of the gift. I'm again thinking about birthday voicemails that I've received as the most prominent voicemail gifts I've been given. Most of them have a song in them. And so, again, we're going back to the tonal aspect of it and the ability to be human and create a human empathetic connection and singing, come on, what's more empathetic than song? So either the people calling me had to be willing to sing that to me live on the phone when I picked up, or they wanted to be willing to leave me a premeditated song on my voicemail for me to listen to in private. And either way, that contributes to the gift aspect of it. And talking about it, I kind of got reminded of a story. In December of 2016, I was driving and I got rear-ended by someone. So I immediately pulled over. We turned on our flashers. We got out, exchanged information. I was rear-ended, so I was not at fault and wasn't really worried about paying for the damage, which was minimal. It was really minimal damage. They put a big dent in my rear bumper and they broke the license plate lights that light up the license plate. State regulation to have those, for the record. They gave me their phone number. We took pictures of licenses and registrations and went our separate ways. I went to contact the person the next day and I could not get in contact with them. Their phone number that they had given me wasn't working. But I really wanted to contact this person because I didn't want to go through insurance. If they were willing to pay for the damage under the table, then I thought that would be the better route to go. So their premium wouldn't go up and they would have to pay more every month or every year. And I tried really hard to get in contact with them. I had a picture of their address on their ID. So I sent a letter to their address and I looked up the phone number for that address, but it wouldn't go through probably because they didn't have a house phone because no one has house phones anymore. And long story short, I spent several hours of my life over the course of a few days trying to get in contact with this person to save them the trouble of getting the letter in the mail that says their premium might go up, but I couldn't find them. And so eventually I just reported it to Liberty Mutual, my insurance company, and Liberty Mutual filed a claim and the claim was found, I was found to be less than 50% at fault. So it was all taken care of from insurance. But I got a letter from the person about a week ago. And for the record, it's February 2017 now. So I got a letter about a month, month and a half after the whole incident. And she wrote this long letter saying how she wished I hadn't gone through insurance. And she left her phone number at the bottom of the letter, the correct phone number. And so I called it wanting to leave her a voicemail. This is how the whole story relates. I had a premeditated monologue. I had this whole spiel about why I wanted to give her the opportunity to not go in through insurance. I didn't tell you this earlier, but she was wearing scrubs when she got out of the car. She clearly seemed like a nurse. And I know that nurses work very hard. They work 14-hour shifts, often doing really disgusting jobs for people. And they do it for the greater good of society. They do it because it's a good thing to do. And I wanted to help this woman very badly but I couldn't because I actually got a ticket a day or two after she hit me that you know I got a warning for not having my license plate lights working that I needed to get them fixed as soon as possible. So out of fear of being elicited a ticket or something like that for not having license plate lights, I had to go through insurance. I had to stop my search for this woman. But when I called that number at the bottom of the letter she wrote, and she wrote me this kind of heartfelt letter about how upset she was. I totally understand how upset she was. But when I called that number at the bottom of her letter, I really had a voicemail planned in my head. And when she picked up the phone, that plan fell to pieces. I had to talk to her in person. And so immediately I started reciting the voicemail that I would have let her. It was all about how I empathize with her and how I wanted to be a good guy and that I somehow lost the opportunity to be a good guy because of a miscommunication about the phone number. 
which she appreciated a lot. I think she picked up on the fact that I had thought about all of this and I had been considerate all along. And she kind of interrupted my monologue and said, it's okay. I understand. Don't worry. I really appreciate that story. And another reason that I love voicemails comes from a TED Talk I once watched in which someone noted that they save voicemails of the people they love because, of course, people age and eventually people are no longer with us. And the speaker mentioned that they really cherish having a recording of that person's voice. And I can identify with it on some level, not that I have lost loved ones, but that the voice is such a profound and personal fingerprint in a sense of who someone is. It is a very clear identifying factor. And as one of our contributors mentions, quote, also, on a more pessimistic note, I can imagine that in the future, if a loved one passes away, hearing their voice will be more triggering slash painful slash powerful than any photo. For that reason alone, I am grateful and fearful for the power of encapsulating someone's voice. And I think that's a beautiful way of saying it because you have not only a gift, as you and I have phrased it, but an audio packet of who someone was. And in the way that people pause and change their tone naturally in speaking, you have an interesting reminder of how that person speaks, even if they are not deceased. In the case of hearing from you in the summer of 2016, I hadn't heard your voice in a while, so it was a great reminder of many things about the friendship that we have shared. And I'd love to know what you think about this idea of the voicemail as a time capsule. I definitely think voicemail can be an audio time capsule of sorts. The idea that you can save a voicemail and you listen to it six months down the road or a year down the road is fascinating. I'm actually really glad after you quoted your contributor there, I'm really glad that I've never received a voicemail and then had that person pass away to leave me still having the voicemail on my phone. I think that would be eerie and it would maybe be akin to someone giving you a gift like a new pair of shoes or a coat or something and then them passing away now that they're not here and they've given you this symbolic thing. Can you even wear those shoes out? Do they go on your wall to be looked at and appreciated? So death, I think, really changes the relationship a lot there. But it's interesting that it can be a time capsule and it can be a time capsule that you can go back and revisit. I'd like to tell another story of a voicemail that I got. This one wasn't intentional. I didn't think of it as a gift because the person didn't mean to call me. I'm sure we all know the phrase butt dialed. My buddy Jack was hiking the Appalachian Trail last summer, and I believe he left sometime in late June. Around late August, I got a butt dial from him. He was probably somewhere in North Carolina or Virginia, and the voicemail that I got was just the sound of his footsteps because he was hiking the Appalachian Trail. He had probably hiked over a thousand miles when he left me the voicemail. Enjoying hiking myself, I listened to the voicemail, which was four minutes. I listened to about two minutes of it, and I keep it on my phone to this day because every now and then I like to sort of listen to it and put myself in the place where he was when he left it to me. He was just another day of hiking. He did about 26 miles a day, and I have about a four-minute glimpse into day number 60 or so. And so when I hear it, I kind of put myself there and think about the tranquility of hiking and the isolation you experience when you're hiking and, and how focused you get. And it's enjoyable for me to do that. Going back to what we were saying earlier about actually hearing somebody's voice as this audio capsule of who they are. And I'm reminding myself of what I said earlier about Skype and video messages. There's something about a voicemail that leaves a certain amount of imagination up to the person receiving it. 
when you get a video message, there's nothing there for your imagination to put in. You can see everything that happens with a voicemail. It's just audio. So you can ascribe to it any other thing that goes through your imagination. Not that you necessarily imagine fantastic things to be happening when you listen to a voicemail, but you piece in the person's face with your own imagination. You piece in where they left you the voicemail with your own imagination. You create some excuse for all the other sounds that you hear in the voicemail. He only left me footsteps when he left me that voicemail, but I knew his phone was in his pocket. I know that he wears khaki pants with lots of pockets, and I knew that he was in the woods. And so I put myself there. My imagination, that's where it took me. I got a birthday message from a friend in Seattle, and he called me when he was at a bar. So when I heard his voicemail, I heard all the people in the background at the bar. And I had been to bars with this guy, so I immediately imagined the bars that we had been to together, not the bar that he was at or the context that he was in when he left the voicemail, but every context I had been with him in. So there's this fun, creative thing that happens with voicemails where you fill in some of these blank pieces that you don't know, and they're not necessarily true. They're fun. You know, I wasn't hiking the Appalachian Trail, but I kind of pretended I was and pretend I do when I hear his voicemail. I wasn't in a bar with my friend on my birthday in Seattle, but we were in bars together in college. So when I hear his voicemail, that's what I think about. We've talked a bit about the function of voicemails, and I'm intrigued to note that with one contributor, they mention feeling tremendous anxiety upon receiving or knowing they have a voicemail because it's an expectation in a sense. It is the aforementioned notification that they have to eventually check. Conversely, another contributor mentioned, and I'm very humbled to say, that he knows my voicemails have a certain tone to them, which is meant to be encouraging and respectful and affectionate, and he said that he will on occasion save my voicemails for those occasions when he might need confidence most, before a job interview or a meeting he's feeling unsure of. And I think it is really interesting that in some ways it's the name alone that we associate with the voicemail, perhaps before even hearing the person's voice. And that same contributor says, quote, In terms of leaving voicemails, there are situations where I would find leaving a voicemail preferable to having a full conversation. Sometimes I feel that birthday or congratulatory wishes fall into this category. Oftentimes those conversations consist of happy blank or thanks, followed by a 30 to 45 seconds of awkward and forced banter. After all, the point of the call is accomplished in the first 5 to 10 seconds of the call, and the rest is just filler. And of course, we had mentioned this idea of forced conversation that the risk of a voicemail can pose. And as a penultimate question to you, are there any ideas or quotations from contributors that you'd like to cite and discuss before we conclude this discussion? A lot of the contributors have pretty clearly pointed to voicemails as being premeditated or scripted, which gives them two functions. One, which is business-related or function-related, you know, calling someone to say, hey, this is ready for you to come pick up, or hey, I'm having trouble delivering this food to your house, where are you? The other is deeply personal or a sort of gift, which again is premeditated, but is a gift. You call them with this set agenda of things that you want to say. And so people have clearly pointed to those two differences. And I think it's interesting to think about. I think it's really, really fascinating. And I think we may even live in this awesome time where voicemails are in this explicitly liminal space where, you know, I think it's safe to say the future of voicemails is uncertain. 
will people leave them in 100 years from now? I personally don't think we'll be driving cars in 100 years from now. I think the world might be incredibly different. And so voicemails might be just a completely outdated thing one day. So in our current space and time, we have this means of communicating with someone, this means of leaving a message with somebody that is in some ways, completely superior to all the technology that is newer than it, and in other ways, is becoming totally antique. And before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to this discussion? One thing considering voicemails has made me think about is the variety of means that we have to empathize with each other, and how mainstream empathy has become. Social media, Facebook, smartphones, These things allow us to communicate and give messages of empathy with a greater frequency than we used to. So the result is that you have a huge magnitude of people trying to talk to you all the time or send you something. I know on my birthday, I'll get anywhere from 20 to 50 people writing on my Facebook, happy birthday, Tim. And it's kind of meaningful, but in there it's meaningful for the mass of it. You know, it's fun to go through and see which people did it. But explicitly you, Kip, have reintroduced this idea of voicemail as a gift, which I think is fascinating and potentially sad that 30 seconds of your voice and 30 seconds of premeditated thought dedicated to somebody is enough to bring voicemail from just this giant cluster of ways we have to communicate into another realm, which is a gift. And it stands as a gift. I wouldn't describe a message on Facebook that says happy birthday as a gift. I would describe it as a gesture, but a voicemail can be a gift. And the subtleties of what make it a gift are, I think, what identifies a nuanced understanding between you and the person you're communicating with. And that sort of nuanced personality and their willingness to say, I had some premeditated thoughts that I wanted to spew out to you in an audio clip, but now that you've picked up the phone, I'm just going to do it to your ear. Or the fact that they just did premeditate 30 seconds of something nice to say those two things maybe have become so rare that voicemail is actually a really enjoyable personal gift. I'm really happy that you emphasize the word gift because I do really think it's applicable in many cases. And I've been really touched to notice that as I've left more voicemails for friends of mine, especially on birthdays, they note that and I've received more birthday voicemails over the years, I think as a direct result, because I've indicated how greatly I prefer voicemails. And while some of our contributors are very kind to note that they've saved voicemails which I've left for them, one challenge I would issue to you, the listener, is that if you do not currently leave voicemails in this personal capacity, you have potential that in many of my relationships I've already lost because I can no longer leave that first voicemail, that surprise at 1 a.m. in the morning which the person will wake up to and think, why do I have a five-minute audio message from this person? And I really do cherish those moments in relationships early on because it's something I get to show someone about myself. And it is, hopefully, as Tim and I have said, a gift. And Tim, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on and talking about this. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Kip. It's been an absolute pleasure being a part of your show. I really appreciate it. Of course. And for their contributions to this episode, I'd also like to thank Emily Hurd, Jason Cerf, Sam Graff, AJ Gurrier, Hannah Peterson, Taylor Skult, Nico Hargreaves-Heald, Claire Talty, Liz Wheeler, Brianne Lish, and Tom Lockney. And as a reminder, if you'd like to read their extended thoughts, you can find them on the post for this episode on our website. 
But as ever, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. And so if you listening have any thoughts, opinions, or comments you'd like to share, we'd really love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you can receive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.